welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, which is the third part of our Saints Among Sinners series. I've entitled this, Made Alive in Christ. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would enlighten the truth of your word to us today, to give us understanding and bring meaning to the scriptures. We ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. I want to highlight three very important things that Paul talks about in this portion of Scripture today. And the very, oh, excuse me, the very first one is simply this. Sin is working against us. Paul is trying to get across this thought. Sin is working against us. Before you can get to the good news, before you can understand the good news, you've got to understand the bad news. Because that's what makes the good news good news. If you don't understand the bad news, you take the good news for granted. And so I want to remind you again of the bad news. And the bad news is simply this, that sin is working against us. Sin is not some ethereal biblical concept conjured up in the minds of some bored theologians to make us feel bad. Sin is very real, it's very present, and it's very tangible. Let me prove it by showing you this. What do you think of when you see this sign, wet Paint. Just, just what went off in you right now proves to me that sin is very real, very tangible, and very present. How many of you have ever seen a sign like this on a wall, on a bench, on a door? And what is your first thought when you see a sign like this? With sin at work in you and it working against you, you don't feel obliged to honour or obey the sign. We want to know something else. We want to know if the door, the wall, the bench is indeed wet. In other words, we're just not going to take the sign's word for it. We want to find out for ourselves. Adam did not just take God's word for it in the Garden of Eden, leave the fruit. He just wanted to try for himself. There's something in us and it's called sin and it's working against us. It's not helping us, it's working against us. 
How many of you have ever touched a wet paint sign only to find that the sign was actually right? The paint was indeed wet. Sin is very real, it's very tangible. We are programmed, unfortunately, to do what we shouldn't do. It's the way of human nature. Sin simply means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Sin is a term that was used in the sport of archery. And I'm going to ask Terry Knight Bowl here to um, help me illustrate this point. Thank you very much. Um, imagine a, an archer with a particular bow, something like this. And, and, and the, the point was that the archer would um, kind of line up and, 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 and do his thing. And because he was so far from the target, there would be someone feeding back as to the accuracy of his shot. And if he missed the mark, if he missed the bullseye, the person recording the shot would shout out, Sin! What he was saying is, you missed the mark! You didn't get perfection! And so, it's an archery term. It means to miss the mark. But that's not a bow. This is a bow. This is a lethal weapon. I was just aiming at Says a minute ago, and I hit his lovely wife. Sin! Don't ever hit your wife. That's what I've learnt. Let's just see if I can hit Says with this. In actual fact, this is such a lethal weapon. I'm not even going to try that. But the point being, the archer would line up and do his best to get the bullseye. And every time he missed the mark, sin! Sin! And when we talk about being sinners, we're talking about people. Good intentions, maybe. But they missed the mark nonetheless. These archers, I'm sure, had good intentions. They wanted to hit the mark. I mean, everyone wants to look good. Everyone wants to do their best. But every time they missed, sin. And you might say, well, you know what? With a bit of extra practice, if I get some expert advice and I learn to my stance and I, and I learn the grip and I, and I try really, really, really hard, then maybe, just maybe, I might be able to hit the mark. But here's the problem with that little scenario. As uh, people, as human beings... Born into sin, sin working against us. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how good you get at what you're doing. Here's the problem we all face. We're not facing the target. So no matter how good I get, no matter how good my stance gets, no matter how good my elbow up, eyes on the target gets, until I have a turnaround and start facing the target. And that's a problem. We're all facing the wrong way. And so we're never going to hit the target. We're never going to hit the mark. We're always going to fall short of perfection. And that's what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. That all have sinned, missed the mark, 
and fallen short of God's bullseye, God's perfection, God's holiness. See, your measuring stick is not the person next to you. As I've said many times before, if we compare ourselves to ourselves, then we can feel really good about ourselves or really bad about ourselves. It depends how far you lower the mark. I mean, if I compare myself to my brother Pete, I might come out looking really good. If I compare myself to Ben, I might come out looking really bad. It depends who I compare myself to. But when we compare ourselves to pure perfection, pure holiness, purity personified, we all fall short. When I compare myself to one who's never had a bad thought, I fall short. When I compare myself to one who's never lost his temper, I fall short. When I compare myself to one who's never had an impure thought, I fall short. And this is what the Bible means when it says all have sinned. Thank you, Terry. And fallen short of the glory of God. Our best efforts, all of our hard work, cannot help us alone. Sin is very real. It's very tangible. The varying degrees of sin is irrelevant. There's an age-old saying that a miss is as good as a mile. And so even if I happen to be just a little bit kinder than someone else in this room, I'll never be kind enough, and nor will you. And Paul says this is a very real problem. It's sin at work, and it's working against us. And the result of our sin is that we were dead, he says in verse 1. And death is simply a separation. A physical death is the spirit being separated from the body. A spiritual death is the spirit being separated from God. And we were all dead spiritually because we all were separated from God. The physically dead cannot respond to physical things. That's what Paul's saying. With all due respect to the passing of Denise, but for those that are dead, if you offer them food, they can't respond because they're not physically alive. And so it is spiritually, when we're spiritually dead, we can't respond to spiritual things. All are sinners and all are dead. The only difference between one sinner and another is the state of decay. He says that we were disobedient in verses 2 and 3. In other words, we willingly do what we shouldn't do. Adam willingly ate of the tree that he was told not to. And then because he'd done the wrong thing, he tried to hide from God. Have you noticed that about kids? When they do the wrong thing, they don't run up to mom. They don't run up to dad and say, hey, dad, guess what? Did the wrong thing. No, no, no. There's there's, there's this thing in us that when we've done the wrong thing, we, we go into hiding. We hide our sin. And so Adam and Eve, they take from the tree that they were told not to take from. And the moment they did that, their eyes were opened and they realized that they were naked. And God goes looking for Adam. He goes looking for Eve and says, where are you? He said, oh, we, we hid God because we were naked. And he says, who told you you were naked? You haven't been eating from that tree, have you? The disobedient. We've all been disobedient. He goes on to say even further that we are depraved. Sin is working against us. We are depraved in verse 3. Our actions are sinful because our appetites are sinful. Who came up with the notion that sex sells? 
They know that the appetites are for those things, and so we, we, we sell accordingly. We know what the, 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 the marketing agencies are. They know what the appetites are, and so they sell accordingly. Have you ever been watching a film and think, why did that lady just get undressed? Why did that guy just swear? There's no need for it. In the context of the film, there's no need for it. But those that put the films on know that there's this hunger, this desire for those things. And so we do wrong things because we crave wrong things. We're depraved in our thinking. And as a result, we are doomed, he says in the last part of verse 3. We keep doing the same things. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, why is it that what I want to do, I don't do. How many of you said on January 1, I'm going to watch what I eat. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to watch what I eat. I'm going to exercise more. I'm going to watch what I eat. I'm going to exercise more. January 2, January 3, January 4. What did I say on January 1 again? Why is it what we want to do, we don't do? And why is it what we don't want to do, we do? I'm going to eat less chocolate this year. I'm not going to eat as much chocolate. And we find ourselves eating more chocolate. Paul says, why is it that I do what I do? What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do do. I said do do. (laughs) And the conclusion is that sin working against us. We're also doomed to eternal separation as a result of this sin. We can never be good enough. We can never be holy enough. We can never be pure enough. Sin is working against us and it's keeping us away from God. We are sinners. As a result, we are dead spiritually and so separated from God who is spirit. And so now, before you go out and want to kill yourselves... I want to tell you the good news. But for the good news to be good news, you've got to understand the bad news. That's, that's the reality. Someone once said to me, are you saying I'm a bad person? I said, no, 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 no. I'm saying you're worse than that. <laughs> they took offense, but it's true. And I said, hey, and I'm worse than that. Until you come to that realization, you'll never embrace the gospel. And the gospel means good news. Until you understand how bad it is, you'll never understand how good the gospel is. And that's why some people take up a new eating regime and a new health regime when they are near death because they didn't realize how bad things were. And sometimes it's got to get really bad before we turn things around. I know there are people in this room who've had a health scare and as a result now they've changed the way they eat. They've changed their exercise program because it came out of a scare, it came out of bad news. And so now they've started implementing some good things into their lives. If we don't understand the bad news, we'll never embrace the good news. The good news is this, but God. Don't you love God's but? But God. With sin working against us, 
Secondly, God is working for us. That's what Paul says. This is the bad news. Here's the good news. God is working for us. Yes, sin is working against us, but the good news is God is working for us. Sin working against us, God working for us. Sin working against us, God working for us. Sin working against us, God is working for us. Sin working against us, God, huge, humongous, God who knows all things, who is in all things, who is working all things together for good, working for us. That's what Paul is saying in Ephesians. And that's what makes Ephesians such an incredible book. Sin working against us. God is working for us. Yes, we're doomed, depraved, deprived and all the rest of it. Yes, but God. This is the good news. God is working for us. I'm losing my microphone here. Is that better? There we go. All right. He says he loves us. In verse 4, God is love and his love is seen in his faithfulness, his mercy and his grace. In his mercy, he does not give us what we deserve. And in his grace, he gives us what we do not deserve. This is the incredible God of love. That he doesn't give us what we deserve. We deserve death. But His grace, He gives us what we don't deserve and He gives us life. At Calvary, God displayed His hatred for sin and His love for humanity all at the same time. As we come into the time of Easter where we remember Jesus on the cross, you've got to understand, it is the greatest display of the wrath of God. Good Friday is the greatest display of the judgment of God. The wrath of God was poured out on His Son. God did not hold anything back. He poured out judgment. He poured out wrath upon His Son. There's never been a greater display of the wrath of God, the judgment of God, like that day. And on the very same day, there's never been a time where God has displayed his love for humanity. Good Friday is indeed Good Friday. But I'm starting a campaign to change to flip an awesome Friday. Because <laughs> it's not just good. It's an amazing day where we see the wrath of God being poured out and the love of God being poured out. What an incredible day. I think that day is worthy of just going up to the river just a little bit later so we can come together and just give him glory and give him praise and give him honour on that amazing day where the wrath of God was poured out and the love of God was seen at the same time. E. Stanley Jones says this, that religions are man's search for God. The gospel is God's search for man. There are many religions, he goes on to say, but there is one gospel. I love that. There is one gospel. Many religions. Many ways man is trying their best to get to God. The trouble is they haven't had the turnaround. And until you have the turnaround, you'll never ever hit the target. Because the target is Jesus. And so sin is working against us, but God is working for us. He loves us. He resurrected us. He made us alive, it says in verse 5. As sinners, we don't need resuscitating. We need resurrecting. And that's what God did. On the cross, he gave us life through 
Christ. The cross is where a divine exchange took place. Not only that, the Bible says he keeps us in verse 7 and 8. In other words, God did not just save us from hell, but he's kept us for all time and eternity. It's not just about escaping hell. It's not just about escaping a bad place. It's about being kept with him for all time and eternity. This is what makes the gospel good news. And thirdly, we have God working through us. Sin is working against us. God is working for us. And God is working through us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, We are God's workmanship, created in Christ. What you need to know is God does not make rubbish. Stop putting yourself down and stop putting your brother and sister down. I know when I was a young boy growing up, Dad took great exception to me having a go at my brother's. And he reminded me, he said, Oi, stop it. You're putting down my son. Stop it. And I think it's a cry of the Father in heaven. Stop putting your brothers down. Stop putting your sisters down. Stop putting yourself down. God doesn't make rubbish. God doesn't make junk. Your parents might not have planned you, but God planned you. You're here by divine purpose. You're here by divine planning. You are here because God breathed life and said, let it be. You're a result of God's let it be. Tim Scott, nice shirt. Moggy, let it be. You are a result of divine plan and divine purpose. God doesn't make rubbish. Let's stop putting ourselves down. Let's stop believing the lies that people try and put on us. You are incredible. You are the apple of God's eye. You are amazing. Seriously, if there's one thing that I really don't tolerate well, it's people putting themselves down. People, it's just, it's just hard to love someone who doesn't love themselves. It's hard to love someone who doesn't love others. It's just, it's just hard. God loves you. Give yourself a break. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared, prepared sorry, in advance for us to do. Can I just say this? We have not been saved by works. There's nothing we can do to be saved by works. But there are the works of salvation. John Calvin said this, It is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. Saving faith always produces a changed life. And this is what Paul was writing to the Ephesians. Come on. You've got sin working against you, granted, but you've got God working for you and you've got God working through you. Come on, let's live a changed life. Let's allow the power that's at work in you to be seen and on display in the world in which we live. God's not going to take us out. He's going to help us to live in the midst of. And he's going to help us overcome in the midst of. He's not off sometimes, but most times he's not going to take us out. He's going to take us through. And the way he's going to take us through is with the power of God at work in us. It produces a changed life. There are many different kinds of work according to the scriptures. There's the work of the flesh. There's the work of darkness. There's dead works. And then there's good works, the works of righteousness. And this is what Paul is referring to here. The good works. We need to be doing good works. We need to be doing works that are seen by men. 
We need to be doing works that are appealing to men. If we just act like the world and speak like the world and think like the world and do like the world, there is no hope for the world. We have to be seen to be doing something better. Our marriages need to be better. Our health needs to be better. There needs to be things in our lives that are appealing to those that are struggling in the world in which we live. The church should be a refuge, a place where people can get help because we are prepared to do good works. Did I mention we have a volunteers night coming? Come on, we need your help. The gospel changes lives. The gospel takes you from being selfish to selfless. The gospel takes you from I don't want to get involved to I want to be involved. The gospel gives you perspective, says I know I'm going to be hurt, but I'm going to work through it. I know people are going to use me, but you know, that's why I'm here, to be used. That's why we're here. And he also says that there are not just good works, but the prepared works. As our musicians come, that would be great. We are God's workmanship, created by God, specifically for a plan and a purpose. The created works of God, the prepared works. God has a plan for our lives. And when we discover the plan of God for our lives, that's when we really live. Every one of us in this room has a God shape. You have a God shape. It's why you like certain things and it's why you don't like certain things. I would ask that each and every one of you write these three things down when it comes to your God shape. Because this is going to help you find the right vocation for your life. It's going to help you to know where to get involved in the life of the church. If you can answer these three questions. Firstly, number one, what are you burdened for? Some people are burdened for making finance for the kingdom of God. That's not wrong. Others have a burden for the poor. That's not wrong. What are you burdened for? It's part of our God's shape. What are you burdened for? Secondly, what are you gifted with? What, what comes natural to you? As a young man growing up, I didn't understand leadership as a call. I didn't understand leadership as a gift. I didn't understand those things. But when I was at school, everyone looked to me when it comes to decision making. It was a gift. Didn't ask for it, didn't want it, didn't desire it, didn't pray for it. It was just there. It's just come naturally. People used to copy me. I used to buy shirts. I used to have my hair style done a certain way. I used to do certain things and wear certain things. And, 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 and people would start following me. I, I didn't like it because I didn't understand leadership as a gift. And so I just, it really annoyed me. It just really annoyed me. But as I've got older and wiser, I started to it is a gift. It comes easy to me. What comes easy to you? That's your gift. When it comes to finding your God's shape, you've got to know your gift. What's your, what are you burdened for? What's your gift? And thirdly, what are you skilled at? I have a burden for certain things. I have a gift in certain areas, but I've still had to work that. I've still had to develop my gift as a leader. Just this week, I went to Melbourne to hang around uh, certain people who are in leadership positions to learn from them. Developing the skill set that I have based upon the gift that God has given. Our desire as a church is that you would do good works, the works God has prepared for you. And the only way you're going to do that is find out what your God shape is 
and work with God and stop working against God. And that's when you'll really live. That's when you really come alive. That's when you really get joyful. That's when you really begin to smile. So what is Paul saying? He's saying that we were dead in our sin in that we live to please the sinful nature. That's how we used to live. He's saying that God is working for us, which means we are now made alive in Christ. Not because of anything we've done, but because of what He's done so that no man can boast. And thirdly, that God is working through us that we should now live to please Him. That's what Paul's saying in those 10 verses in Ephesians. And it's my heart's desire, my prayer, that as a church, we would grab a hold of this truth and let it change our thinking. Let it change our way we do life. Because as a young man growing up in the church, this is the teaching. These are the teachings. These are the thoughts. These are the concepts that I just grabbed a hold of. They're the thoughts and the teachings that inspired me to want to live a different life, to want to be different, to want to be the difference in the world in which we live. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.